The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. The Pharisees went off and plotted how they might entrap Jesus in speech. They sent their disciples to him with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are a truthful man and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. And you are not concerned with anyone's opinion, for you do not regard a person's status. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? <coughs> Knowing their malice, Jesus said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin that pays the census tax. Then he handed him the Roman coin. He said to them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? They replied, Caesar's. At that he said to them, Then repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. The Gospel of the Lord. So this is often considered one of the most brilliant responses by Jesus. Jesus is God, so he has a lot of brilliant responses in general. Um, but he's explicitly and intentionally trying to be trapped here by those who see him as their enemy. And I want to kind of just shed some light on the actual things that are going on historically here and just break open this little scene and then talk about the deeper significance of the theology of what Jesus is actually saying and just how this actually applies to us and how this is actually very, very meaningful for us right now in 2023. So first off, just kind of from a historical point of view, the Pharisees and the Herodians conspire together to try to trap Jesus. They're trying to get him to slip up in something that he says so that they can hurl an accusation against him and either eventually kill him, which we all know does happen, right? When, when he decides it's time, he hands himself over in his own freedom. Um, or, or just um, destroy his credibility, etc. And so the Herodians and the Pharisees are not allies, naturally, um, but they both, they both want Jesus to, um, to meet a bad end. And so they put this question to him about the census tax. Is it legitimate? Is it legitimate for a Jew who's under Roman occupation, so we might think of ourselves now, if we were, I don't know, for instance, if the Russians or something had, uh, had kind of gone to explicit war with us during what we now call the Cold War, and they had occupied the United States and we were Russian, right? Um, what, what would be our role? And um, in this instance, the Romans occupied the area that we now call the Holy Land, and they forced this tax to Caesar. And so the, the basic trap here that's going on in this question is, 
Look, if Jesus answers yes, he's in big trouble. And if he answers no, he's in big trouble. If he answers yes, it's legitimate to pay the census tax. Then what that implies is that, and what they're aiming at is that Jesus sees the occupation of Jerusalem and the, the land of the Jews that we now call Israel as legitimate. But from a Jewish perspective, this is completely unjust that they're being occupied at all by the Romans. Um, and on the other hand, if Jesus says no, then, and this is kind of where the Herodians come in, if he, if he says no, it's not just, then what you have is the state seeing Jesus as an insurrectionist, um, someone who's trying to rebel against the Roman secular authority, and as a rebel. So, you know, that, that has very... And the Romans had absolutely, as, as we know, zero tolerance for any kind of rebellion. As they showed when the Jews did try to rebel in the year 70 AD and a couple of years before that, and Jerusalem was completely and utterly obliterated by the Romans. In fact, the, those who are practicing Jews still cry and lament the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD by the Romans, the, that actual real insurrection that took place. And so Jesus is kind of in between a rock and a, and a hard place, as the saying goes. And if he answers one way, he's in trouble. If he answers another way, he's in trouble. And so what we see is Jesus basically just cut right through everything. And so not only does Jesus... Um, not only does Jesus just kind of cleverly answer here, he also, uh, he, he doesn't really fight them back. He says things as they are. He calls them hypocrites, because they are. And the reason that he calls them a hypocrite is because there's a disconnect, um, and this is hypocrisy, and just as kind of a side note, we don't want the type of hypocrisy that Jesus is talking about in our own lives. It creates a natural disconnect when we're, thinking one thing and we're saying another thing that's that's hypocrisy our thoughts and what comes out there should be kind of a one-to-one -one on that those things should be in line um, but for them obviously they have these hidden manipulative moves that they're trying to make and so um, Jesus says you hypocrites why are you testing me then he says, let me see the coin that pays the census tax. And so they, they pull out the coin, and you can Google the coin that's being spoken of right here. And we, we, have, we have them. We have copies of them, uh, actual ones that existed from back then. And what it has is, is actually remarkably similar to like a U.S. coin, where you have kind of the silhouette of the head. And so it's, uh, it's an image of Caesar. It's his image. And so it's kind of like, it looks just like him, the living Caesar of the time. And, uh, and so Jesus takes it, he says, whose image is, is here? And they reply to him, uh, Caesar's. And he says, render on to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar. And render on to God that which belongs to God. So underneath that answer and that response, first off, how incredible that Jesus doesn't get caught up in the political 
and the depth is like the depth of his answer is actually it's not an attack back at them it is he's calling out their hypocrisy rightfully so he's basically saying you're trying to trap me but he doesn't um, he doesn't kind of retaliate he actually gives this beautiful theological understanding and when he says repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God he doesn't name explicitly what belongs to God. But we, as biblical people, and certainly the Pharisees, who were, he was speaking to here, and the, there's, we can imagine this crowd around him, right? They would have understood exactly what he was speaking of because we remember from the first few chapters in the book of Genesis that beautiful line, we are that we are, as human beings, created in God's image and likeness. And that's no small thing. That was a very radical, a very radical truth that was conveyed up until that point in human history. That wasn't something that was like common to other religions or something. God is in a completely different category, and still is, you know, from a theological point of view, God is completely other. But to be made in God's image and likeness says that we ourselves are a reflection of God. So Jesus is saying, give to God that which belongs to God. And he's speaking specifically about the image on the coin. He says whose image is on the coin? And of whose likeness is it? And so we consider ourselves, what Jesus is saying here is, that means what does belong to God that's to be rendered unto God? And, and that's, of course, us. We as human beings completely and utterly belong to God. And so now just kind of moving away from the historical, I just want to just say a few words about this theological reality of being created in God's image and likeness. If we, if we truly understood what this concept is, um, this, is a, this is a life changer, this is a radical one. Because... Right now, a lot of the debates that we have, as far as I'm concerned, in, modern, in our modern culture and just kind of some of the, uh, the issues that are most hotly debated have to do with this question of whether or not we are created or not created. So if we are created, if we are created, that means we're in God's image and likeness. That means that we have what the Greeks, the philosophers, would have called a telos. A telos is an end. It means we're meant to become something specific. Now, hold that over here. That's if we're created. That means there's an intentionality and intelligence undergirding reality and our existence. Human beings are meant to become something. That is different than not being created. And what I mean by that is if we say we're not created, we're not a creature, if I'm not a creature created by a creator, a creator, then I am random. And so I came into existence, right, as a result of various material circumstances. And we would call that, you know, you might say that there's a kind of... Um, materialistic um, determinism that exists. And this would have been kind of the view of the new atheists who were very popular when I was in college and high school. 
a materialistic determinism. That is, there is no meaning behind these things. Right? There's no meaning. We create our own meaning. And so when we look at some of these debates, again, that are happening in uh, what people have labeled the culture wars, a lot of that has to do with, am I created? That means, is a human being meant to be something very specific? Because if we're creating God's image and likeness, that means we're, that there is an intelligence behind where we're moving. There's a meaning for, let's say, human sexuality. There's, a, there's something that is masculine or feminine, that God has an idea and create us with an intentionality of what a family is. Now, if God does not exist, these are questions that all of us hopefully have grappled with, and if you're a young person out there, hopefully you are grappling with, and, and will continue to, both at the level of the intellect, the mind, and the heart as well. There's certainly an intuitive sense, I think, that, that is, I think, God-given, where we're, we know that we're made for God and that we belong to Him. These are questions that need to be battled out, though, and we need to work them out. And so it means very, 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 very different things to be created or to not be created. If we are not created, if we are random, then we can create our own meaning. We can create our own meaning. And so with the debates that we have with human sexuality, again, which are some of the main ones that I'm talking about, the male-female stuff is kind of big right now with the transgender movement. And so these are kind of things that people argue about, right? And we need to understand these things in the context of this deeper question of is there meaning, is there intentionality, are we created in the image and likeness of our Creator, or are we random? Again, we've got to kind of figure these things out ourselves, and we need to work through these. Um, how beautiful, though, how beautiful to consider the reality, which I think is obvious, um, and both at both an intellectual and an intuitive level, the head and the heart, that we are created. And we do have a supreme dignity as human beings. That God is the foundation of all reality. And that He desires for us to become more and more like Him. And what does He look like? He looks like his own image when his own image became flesh. That's Jesus. And so Jesus desires us to be like him and to grow into him and become him. And that's what we're doing here, of course. That's what worship is. It's rendering unto God our very selves. God transforms us. When we go to Sunday Mass, he transforms us when we pray. Lord, we ask you to help us to render unto God that which belongs to God, our very selves. Help us to experience the joy that Jesus promises at the Last Supper that he will give to those who are connected to him. Thank you for creating us with this deep intentionality. 
Help us in our own free will, Lord, that you give us to not rebel against the goodness of our own creation, to not wage a war within ourselves, acting against the way that we are ourselves created. Help us to live in you and dwell in you and have our, have our being in you, Lord. Bless our young people, especially all of the children here in this church right now and in our parish as well. Show them the glory of their own existence and their own dignity and your own glory. And transform us all through Christ our Lord. Amen. And let's just take a few minutes in silent prayer just to listen to and speak with the Lord in our hearts. And again, just a friendly reminder that we are a very family-friendly parish here at St. Mary's. And so when we have these periods of silence throughout the Mass, just to kind of pray and talk with the Holy Spirit and listen to the Holy Spirit, um, we love our children crying. Um, I'm not saying we always love it, uh, but we love, you know, as, as, the, as the, the old priest saying goes, a church that you don't hear crying is a church that's dying. And so we celebrate our families and we're very thankful for our families.